All right, what up, everybody? We're back this week with this episode of the Big Go Bell Podcast. I am Two Chains, your host for the night, and I got the whole team with me. But let's start off by introducing them. First off, we're going to start over to my left. It's actually really not my left, but I'm just looking at the screen <laughs> and who's here. So we're just going to just say it now for the left. But anyway, Mr. Hot Take here with himself. What's up, buddy? What is going on? We'll say it's your cyber left or your interweb left of some sort like that. But once again, we are back. A happy new year to everybody as we head into the winter. And I, I don't know. It's a new year, new faces, new things happening. So I'm excited to get into all of it tonight on the Big Gold Belt podcast. Right on, right on. And right after that, I couldn't do it without Mr. Giant Crap himself. Jamal, what's up, buddy? Absolutely zero. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. <laughs> and that just proceeds to the next person, Salty G, Damien himself. What's going on, dude? What's up, everybody? After a kind of a long whirlwind adventure in the New York tri-state area, got in last night, finally got some sleep, and uh, caught up on all the wrestles, as the kids say, and uh, there's a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And last but not least, the silly one himself. Mr. Silly Sellers, what's up, dude? I might have to change my name to my new favorite wrestler, Orange Silly Sellers. (laughs) (laughs) He's literally becoming my favorite wrestler. (laughs) Freshly squeezed Silly Sellers. There we go. (laughs) But anyway, let's get right into the topics tonight. Uh, We definitely have a lot to talk about. But I first want to talk about something I think is I've obviously everyone's seen it. I think that it is very exciting. I'm very interested to hear what my crew's take is on this, but I'm going to start off and I'm just kind of digress because I'm going to let everybody get their voice in for tonight. But um, in case you guys have not seen it, I recently signed and reported by numerous sources that Mercedes Martinez has a contract with uh, WWE. And I'm just overly... I'm overly excited about this and for a lot of different reasons, because when I really truly think about the true pioneers of wrestling, uh, women's wrestling on the independent scene, who's literally just been doing it from all over, literally that's done the drives that's done the wrestles just all over two names that easily come to my head is Lufisto and Mercedes Martinez. And I remember that there was a rumor um, during the first May Young Classic that Mercedes Martinez was going to get a contract then. And not sort of say straight into a wrestling role, but into a coaching position, which when you think about that, it's like that just makes perfect sense. I mean, could you imagine the tulich that, you know, all these new people that's at the performance center can get both men and women from her. And then when you think about it, when there was also, you know, her getting this coaching job, it's like, hell, if she steps up as a coaching job, Nesta Sarah Del Rey or even the Sarah Del Rey decides that, you know, she wants to hang it up. The fall off by no means is non-existent. So when you think about somebody who can you quickly insert into the WWE system, 
train these new up and coming people and 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 they're getting like some of the highest caliber talent that's just done it. It's the perfect role. And then coming into the second annual May Young Classic, her match with uh Miko Sadamora was just absolutely amazing. Absolutely deserved way more buzz than it got. And you know, nothing came from out of that that year, which was uh 2018, because now time is flying. It's kind of like, okay. You know, it would have been nice to see that. But now that it, it seems to be official that she is, I'm super excited. And I think it's really good because with just really this boom in professional wrestling, so much talent coming from all over, um, there's nothing better than being trained or working against one of the best to have ever done it. So uh, very, very exciting news. And it just means that the future within the PC um, ultimately is looking really good when you're able to sign and lock somebody in like that. That's truly going to be an absolute positive blessing for anybody that steps in there. But Marseille's Marcinez, uh, like I said, has been uh, rumored to be signed um, from numerous sources, so we can still kind of slightly call that confirmed. But what did you guys take on this once you heard the news? I think it's uh, I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously they signed her because they know what she brings to the table and she definitely does bring a hell of a lot, especially towards the uh, the younger folks that are coming in. But when I see her signed, and as we see uh, the rise of AEW, um, the restructuring of Impact and whatever H is or whatever ROH is imploding into, it's kind of like, well, where does that leave the independency? Mm-hmm. And as much as I'm happy for Mercedes Martinez, it makes me kind of wonder about like a Veda Scott or a Lufisto mm-hmm. and like a time is continuously moving as it always does nonstop. And there will have to be a changing of the guard at every level. Mm-hmm. So for Mercedes Martinez, good for her for getting it in, you know, while the getting's good. But then where does that leave everyone else that has a right to that spot that she now holds? Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I am cheerful, you know, and happy for her, it is kind of like, well, damn. I really would have wanted to see X, Y, and Z in that spot as well. And we know that no matter what, that there's not enough room or seats at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. What I've realized over the last maybe couple of years because of things like the Mae Young Classic uh, and when TNA's knockouts division kind of started taking off a little bit more, uh, the fan polling almost, unofficial fan polling at live events and at televised events kind of have a pull with a lot of promotions and the, the rise of social media. Uh, people have been champion, uh, championing for Mercedes for a while now. Uh, part of me, you know, to echo everybody else probably, that she's happy to be signed. She gets to, to, to expand her knowledge base and perform or even coach those, the up-and-comers, like we said before. The thing I'm thinking about is she appeared on AEW specific television and pay-per-views twice in 2019, I believe. And a lot of people were clamoring for her to be signed there. And for some odd reason, Tony and the boys didn't decide to, you know, pull that trigger and, and their loss is now WWE's gain. To further the argument or discussion about where does that leave independent wrestling it's almost becoming a battle of choosing teams when we're kids for kickball or some sort of organized sport. <laughs> and it's like, oh, we're going to take you. Oh, I'll take this person. Oh, I'll take this person. And you don't want to be the last person not picked. Mm. 
and I feel as if with the rash of of signings, both male and female, but in this case, female, the cupboard, as evidenced by by the independent wrestling I've seen over the last maybe six months, is starting to get a little bare. Uh, and I think that's a big worry for me in the bigger picture in terms of women's wrestling. And we'll get into it later regarding you know AEW and, and the women's division. But I think this is a sign of things to come because would I be surprised if Lufisto gets signed tomorrow or a week later as a retaliatory yes. thing? I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, to see I, I would. Impact take a chance on her, NWA Power taking a chance on her. I wouldn't be surprised. But someone's going to get left holding the bag. I'm interested to see who it's going to be. And, and that's interesting because when you guys both, those are good points. I did not even realize you know, what the state of the independent scene could be now with, like you say, that's a perfect analogy with that kickball thing. Like you at recess in elementary school where you don't want to be that last pick. Um, I'm happy for, her. you know, she's, she's done her due. Um, when you think about people that get promotions or people that get job changes. And if you think about the NFL and think about some people that got head coaching jobs that don't deserve it, she's one that's long overdue to deserve this spot. Um, but just the fact that thinking about, what can be left of the independent scene or even the ones that do get signed, are they still going to get signed to do things that they're expected to do on that next level? Cause you're still going to have a lot of people out there that's, Oh, I'm signed to WWE or I'm signed to AEW, but they're still not doing anything. You don't want to waste their talent just because they want to get picked based on the other person want to get them before they do Like WWE wants to get them before AEW. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm, I'm excited for her. I hope everything works out, but can't knock anybody that, that makes their dream come true. <laughs> I want to repeat everything has been said, but to keep it short and sweet, obviously richly deserved, long overdue, happy to see Mercedes getting paid. That's the goal. Let's get some of these girls paid, especially when they've been out there do on the road forever in a day. Um, as far as the indies go, I mean, this is the story is as old as time from like the nineties to the two thousands through whenever it's like everyone eventually gets, you know, You'll have these sweeping moments where like a ton of people will get signed and a whole bunch of spots will open up on the indies. And yeah, there is a very real chance that there is not necessarily people there ready today to fill all those voids that are being created. But rest assured, people are going to figure it out really darn quick. And when opportunity presents itself, it will get taken care of. It might be a bumpy road for a bit while things readjust. But it will happen. It will happen eventually. So the indies will be fine. There will always be new faces coming up. It's just a matter of a readjustment period when new spots get created like this with a Mercedes Martinez moving on to the next level of her career. So very cool. Richly deserved. Glad to see it happen. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, a lot of good input there. But let's, let's move on to our really our documented uh, topics for tonight. I just wanted to throw that in there quickly. Uh, but I think coming off of uh, another and, and very much a historic uh, Russell Kingdom 14 this past weekend for uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, we're not going to break down the car. So if anybody's listening, thinking that was about to happen, to no. stop it. Yeah, we'll be here. We'll be here for about two days, honestly. But speaking of two days, uh, this is the first time that they have done a two day event. And the question at hand for you guys for tonight is that. Based on the success, we all I think we all can agree this was a very successful. Um, and and if it's not, well, you know, put it in per, in perspective. But I think it was a very successful um, two nights for Russell Kenner fourteen. What do you guys think from this point on? We will see 
from uh, from all other events from uh, U.S. based companies, WWE or whatever it may be, with this design. You think we will see more two day big events this year? I think you even see three day events because um, it's already doing that now in WWE. When you think about it, when you have your uh, takeover shows that go right for a mania or right. Oh no! To, to be clear, to be clear, takeover and whatever it is are two different shows. So we're talking one particular show having a two day event. Yeah, I get it. I get it because what they would probably do is let's say for example, like I said, it's two different shows. Moves NXT takeover to um, Friday night, right? And then have a two part. WWE show where you have part one will be this and then they'll leave it like a little cliffhanger about what's going to happen on tomorrow's show which something may happen as a sub main event on that first show that will lead into the second show um so I can definitely see that format happening and honestly you think it needs to happen because we I, I can't do a seven or eight or even nine hour show where you have all this wrestling going back to back to back it's like I need two meals just to make sure I stay up all day and, and wherever I'm watching <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you have it where you can bring it up where you have two three hour shows but it's all one show I don't see a problem with that. Um, I think this is something that that was designed very well. I think companies will try to duplicate it, um, but we'll see where it goes. But I am a favor if if more companies locally in U.S. based do two shows to present one major show. If you want to have like a WrestleMania be like that or some of your big top shows that you have for the year. I want to focus in immediately on something Marcellus just said. That I think is a key part here coming off of Wrestle Kingdom. You just mentioned the idea of doing two three-hour shows. The biggest issue I had with Wrestle Kingdom's presentation this week is it was two shows that were five-plus hours long each. Yep. So in the end, you had over 10 hours of wrestling between these two shows. Right. right. I'm all for two days, but five-plus hours each day, that's a bit much. I would say three to four is where you go for. We had that one WrestleMania that what went over seven hours, and that yeah. was Lord knows a marathon, and they haven't brutal. done that brutal. since. They definitely dialed it back, and I think learned their lesson there. If you're going to do two days, I'm thinking maybe three and a half to four hours each day might be the sweet spot, somewhere in there. But all I know is by the end of Sunday morning, after I got done watching day one and day two of Wrestle Kingdom, I was just like, I mean, great wrestling, great action, you know, great environment, you know, biggest New Japan show of the year. But 10 out, 10 plus hours of anything is too damn much in my mind. So I think that's the key thing is that, yeah, you can break it over a couple days. But how much are you still asking people to commit to for this show? Hmm. So WrestleMania 30 could have been two days. Uh, the storytelling permits it. And there were other factors involved that permits it. Um, I point. do believe that uh, NXT was moved to Friday night to not directly compete with um, uh, Ring of Honor, like Supercard of Honor at uh, New Orleans Arena. Um, and they've also moved NXT uh, TakeOver to Friday night again, I think in New York, to not compete with the New Japan show. So, so a precedent has been set of TakeOver being on a Friday night. Uh, with that said, if you remember Daniel Bryan's run through WrestleMania, night one could have ended with him beating Batista, set it up for mm -hmm. an eventual run, at, and, and night two ended the way it ended. So if the storytelling mm -hmm. makes sense, it, theoretically, it could be feasible to uh, do the shows on uh, different nights with overarching storylines. Now, you could settle your raw heavy beef on show night one and a SmackDown heavy beef on night two with 
some overlapping storylines to get you through both days. But I would rather see a two-day event that makes sense mm-hmm. uh, for a city, for the financial implications of bringing uh, you know, 100,000 wrestling fans into town um, and making the WrestleMania spectacle. For example, I mean, it could be SummerSlam. It could be the Royal Rumble for, for all I care. Because honestly, the Royal Rumble is just one match and then two or three other championship matches. Uh, because the Royal Rumble itself is over an hour long. So if they were to... If the storytelling makes sense, then a two-day event might not be a terrible idea. But because of uh, pre-shows and everything like that, it's, it's kind of like, that's what drags it on. A two-hour pre-show before a five-hour-long event? Well, then you're at WrestleMania seven hours. But also, with that said, a four-hour-long event uh, means that you have better opportunities to have it in other parts of the world. Uh, uh, WrestleMania started at 7 o'clock GMT which would be 2 o'clock in the East and 10 a.m. in California. Well, if it's a four-hour show, then that means that the British can get home before midnight and the rest of America can watch it in real time on a Saturday and a Sunday. The British definitely deserve a WrestleMania because that's a, one of their biggest markets for WWE. They have the you know, structure to bring it. I think that's how you do it. Instead of having a seven-hour-long event that starts you know, three days earlier. And you can still have your takeovers and your access and, and stuff like that. Uh, I, I really do see that that could be the way to go, especially if it makes money. And I think you hit the nail on the head right there when it comes to it makes money. Uh, I saw this posted somewhere along social media the other day. And I think cutting down Wrestle Kingdom or any any major pay-per-view from seven hours to three hours, is a man, it should be a mandate. Uh, the second part about that, that... I found interesting, the point was brought up that if another promotion was to do that, how much of that is basically saying, we just want to get all the talent on the card just to give them something to do mm-hmm. over the course of two days? Me personally... They do that anyway. Right. And me personally, I think, honestly, they're kind of placating too much to their own talent because a lot of people don't even deserve to be on a main card. They're just thrown there just because, hey, man, I worked Wrestle Kingdom. Well, hey, man, I worked WrestleMania. Great. Did I do anything really to deserve it, even though I'm just one guy in a battle royal so I can get a royalty check or something like that? Sure for them, but honestly, does that make any more money for the organization, for the for the promotion? That's that's the, the angle I would go with in terms of just making money. If you want back-to-back three-hour pay-per-views in your WWE, AEW, New Japan, that's fine. But don't do it just so you can give your talent something to do. Let, let them earn the spot and just say, well, I feel bad that this person is not on it. I don't want it to get to that point where we're just throwing on Apollo Crews just because we haven't seen him for about 20 years. And then all of a sudden he's wrestling against Cedric Alexander in a, in a gauntlet match with like three other cruiserweights. So it's a waste. You know, you don't keep the people's interest just to kind of just throw people haphazardly together. Mm-hmm. Okay, it so goes to where I disagree. Uh, real quick, this is where yeah, I yeah, disagree. Um, I don't. I think with the mindset of WrestleMania being the Super Bowl of wrestling is an, is not correct. I think WrestleMania is the All Star Game of wrestling, and mm. I do think that it um, for the resume, it, you should get a chance to get out there. We know good and well how the wrestling's hierarchy is structured. There's some acts that will never make it to the top. It's similar to college basketball. 
God bless North Dakota State, but it'd be a frosty <laughs> day in hell before they make it to the uh, championship game in any sport. With that said, watch does they that make mean, it this year. I hope they do. Go Bison. But does that mean <laughs> that they don't have a? They shouldn't deserve to have at least a sliver of the spotlight on the national stage, because we know that Mojo Raleigh or Titus or Dana Brooke and 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 everybody in the mid card vortex of evil. Uh, will not get a chance to main event WrestleMania. So to give them an opportunity to have a feature match and potentially steal the show, to be a VCU and make it to the Final Four, then I think that that's worth more than just you don't deserve to be here because you're you. Well, they're handicapped by the fact that Vince doesn't like them, like Zack Ryder. Um, so I, I do think that that is a thing. I, I want to see uh, Ryder and, and Hawkins. He got kids, man. He deserves to be there. <laughs> they still care about no kids. <laughs> I I think the key thing that Jamal really honed in on that's gonna have to if this is gonna happen, that really has to be kept in mind is the major I think tenet of this whole thing is they gotta have the storylines or enough things happening to warrant having two days worth of show. If you don't have enough going on or the storylines aren't clicking or people are out hurt or, you know, the cards totally decimated, you don't just do two days for the sake of doing two days. You do two days because you have something that warrants two days. For New Japan this year was the whole idea of the double title dash that they did with first title match on the first day and then the second title match on the second day. So they created a story that carried over from day one to day two. Right. If you don't have, and you know, it's. No, 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 oh, go ahead. I'm thing. sorry, Will. Yeah. If you don't have something like that, though, it's like you gotta create. I think a reason to make the two day scenario compelling, and also to get people to come back for the second day. That's the one thing that the interesting thing that did happen with Wrestle Kingdom is ten thousand less people showed up the second day. Part of that people are chalking up to people having to get to work and stuff. And the first day was on January fourth, which was the traditional day of Wrestle Kingdom, but. Interestingly enough, the first day had a heck of a lot more people there than the second. So you got to get people to come back for day two is also part of the scenario. Well, let me let me throw this out there right now, because that is actually part of something I was going to bring up now. We've always talked a lot about viewership. So let's talk about attendance really quick on their biggest pay-per-view. So first night brought in 40,000. Right, so, OK, for starters, Wrestle Kingdom 12 brought in 34,000, 13 brought in 38,000. So night one of 14 brought in 40,000 and night two brought in 30,000. So about 10,000 drop off a total of 70,000. So uh, with that being said, what would you guys suggest to kind of keep that attendance uh, steady for night two or or even potentially boost it? Or is this even a big deal to fall off? I mean... I mean, it, all right, so the fall off can be realistic, but I'm going to go back to what Will was talking about. Yeah, it's, so, it's realistic it's, for sure, but what's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the take on to either sustain it for two nights? Because, I mean, like Will said, if you're going to if you're gonna do two-night events, you have to say, well, what are the stakes for night two? Why do I need to be there for night two? And obviously, we've seen a 10,000-person uh, 10, drop-off. So, again, is it a big deal that it's a 10,000-person uh, drop-off? Or what do they need to do? Or what do others you think are 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 dealing with this if if is if this is maybe potentially a big problem or not a problem at all? I, I think it could be a problem because ten thousand is a lot. But think about I'm just take WWE for instance. You have five hours of content where you have three on one show, two on one show every week 
where you would think five hours of content with a network should give you an opportunity to build things up in you know details and using enough storylines and making some challenges. Like think of Survivor Series that just happened. I mean, Survivor Series really, really could have been a two-day event. You know, let's say whoever's in the lead after the first event, or whoever's in last as far as wins, let's say SmackDown had the least amount of wins, they're eliminated for show two. So it's going to be interesting to see, oh, wow, do I need to root for my favorite wrestler to win at this point for show two? Just as an example. It may not be the cleanest example, but just an example. But you have five hours of content each week that can build for that. So really, even though it's easier said than done, it should be no excuse why that can't happen. And I'm not even mentioning NXT, which is another two hours. So if you want to put all three together, that's seven hours of content that you do every week that can build for a show that you do for two days just for one month. Well, I think that like there's a bunch of context that's missing from uh, what Two James said. Number one, um, when was it announced that Wrestle Kingdom uh, 14 would be two days? That, was that I something that was from, announced from the jump? From the jump last okay. year. Yeah, that okay. was it. That was right. my question too. Yeah, right. when last so, year's happened, they said next year would be two days. Right. So if they know that it's going to be two days, and everybody wants to go on the fourth, there is a historical context there with the fifth. And maybe that might not fly in Japan because it's the fifth. Uh, what we know historically is that WrestleMania, as WWE pay-per-views tend to be, is on a Sunday. So if we know that it's going to culminate on a Sunday, the way that culturally our week, weeks are set up, cool. Everybody gets to go home on their normal day. And, and then, of course, you lead into the Raw after, um, uh, what's the name anyway? Uh, after uh, Mania anyway. And then, of course, night one is kind of like a free uh, slot, except NXT TakeOver can't be on Friday because SmackDown is. Then what? Yeah. So, I mean, th there are things at play um, that would have to have some major uh, rearranging. But I think that they could, you know, make it work. You know, and obviously they use a football stadium or a baseball stadium for WrestleMania. The arena is still empty. So who's to say that they can't do... Uh, take over on the network that leads into WrestleMania. Uh, hell, there's your you. You can do a three-hour WrestleMania that's preceded by or that yeah by a takeover. So there there are ways to do it. There are ways to fit everything in, and they have their own network, so they don't have to worry about programming. As as uh, WrestleMania is on the network anyway in the U.S. So whether it's WrestleMania or SummerSlam, honestly, King of the Ring could be two days. I think that the way the structure is, if there's a storyline that warrants it, um, then cool. But the bottom line is, is that if you have a Royal Rumble and a women's Royal Rumble, and they're both of equal length, that's the two hours right there. Mm -hmm. So how much longer does that show need to be? So you could easily do uh, the Royal Rumble. You can make the King of the Ring the North American version of the G1. Uh, over two days. Uh, you can do um, the Royal Rumble or SummerSlam. Uh, Survivor Series. Uh, yeah, and then, of course, with NXT officially being bumped up to the third brand, do they even need to take over WrestleMania weekend? It could be one big-ass show. I mean, that's it's WrestleMania. It's all-encompassing. It's the biggest wrestling event of the year. So why wouldn't that include NXT content uh, as well? So... As, as, you know, especially going forward with the three brands merging at when at points, it could work. As you know, and now the question is, what do you, which one do you go to? 
Well, the way the weekends are set up, you already know that you're going to be in town for that weekend. You're just trying to make it through the SmackDown that was formerly on Tuesday, but that's not even a problem anymore. <laughs> so, realistically, if you fly down to Tampa on Thursday, you go to SmackDown on Friday, WrestleMania Night 1, WrestleMania Night 2, Monday Night Raw on Monday. What has actually changed? There you go. Do it, Vince. I want, I want 10% on that. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but that I, I guess for me is that actually is it fixing a problem is it doing anything than just making it seem like there's been a change as opposed to it's the same format just you're splitting your pay-per-view up over two days the short answer is consumption? yes the short answer is yes it is fixing the problem because the biggest problem about an overblown uh, bloated Wrestlemania is that you're putting in these filler matches just to give guys a, a royalty check. I agree with that. However, if you actually book two shows instead of booking uh, two main events and backfill the rest of the show, I mean, that's basically what it is. They know what's going to open. They know what's going to close or the two matches that are going to close, but they always BS the middle of the show. So, and, and the pre-show is what it is. Well, mm -hmm. how about actually just booking two shows? And they can do it. Because they already reserved the stadium, whether it's football or the arena in this nearby city, for that week. So I would rather see, uh, and also WrestleMania is the culmination of everybody's storyline. The entire company resets on Raw after Mania. So there isn't a person with the storyline that shouldn't be resolved at WrestleMania. Yeah. And of course, implications going forward, but still the point remains. Uh, I would rather see meaningful storylines culminate in WrestleMania then have an Andre the Giant Battle Royal for the mid-card Vortex of Evil because we don't have anything to do for him. Yeah, it, you know, speaking of somebody that's been at WrestleMania 32, these are really intriguing ideas um, that you guys are yep. not there. <laughs> go, go ahead, Will. Yep. Oh, I didn't say nothing. Oh, I thought you were about to speak up on the topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, uh, go ahead. Okay. You but yeah, okay, well, yeah, um, we'll move forward in a second. But yeah, absolutely, like... Um, this whole sitting in place for eight hours. I mean, because we actually are just not only talking about the actual showtime, but the the journey of actually getting in and the wait the wait time for getting my, in. My the God. Wait time before the show starts. I mean, doors open up at a certain time. That's like an indication of what time you should be there. So we already know doors open up one to two hours early, plus the eight hour yep. show. Technically, you've been sitting in the arena for 10 hours. So you divide that by and two. It's outside. Huh? Yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, divided by two, I'm I'm fine with it. And I I I, I totally agree that um two days, um, no one's gonna care about it. you're already in town. So if you split up by two days, um, and like somebody said, being able to grab you a, a meal without starving had to death, or if you have to eat at the arena, spending um every bit of the last bit of money you've already had left in your account. It just at some point it's just get it just seems just really illogical. So you know what? New Stadium Japan food did. and beers ain't cheap. Yeah, that's true. Uh, considering what New Japan did, I'm just going to say shortly that I think we, we may see more of this coming. Somebody say something. Yeah, before we move on, you said the seventy thousand combined people went, uh, ten thousand less people. Yeah. Um, I think that's also that that suggests that different people went on different days. I think a lot of people had their minds set for January fourth, and whatever January fifth presented, they could take it or leave it. And obviously, 10,000 people left it. So we don't know how tickets were. I don't know how tickets were set up. Was it a two-day package? 
mm-hmm. or two people to buy them individually. Mm-hmm. I think it also a two day WrestleMania. And, and, and be clear that the people that might have got day one thought, hey, I got day one, I'm good. And then they're like, oh, shoot, I need day two sold out. And people who didn't get day two didn't get day one. So, I mean, people who didn't get day one end up buying day two. So it was just, you know, maybe a toss up on what could you actually get? You know what I mean? Right. Because not knowing what matches are, we're obviously talking about WrestleMania tickets now uh, for March or April, whenever it is. Uh, would you buy WrestleMania for a two day event given WWE's pay per view uh, track record recently? Yeah. I'm not guaranteed. I'm not. I'm not convinced that based on the current storylines on the main roster, that I would want to go to a two day event uh, for WrestleMania. But obviously, you never know. And I think, given more time, you know, we don't know. Mojo Riley may come out with something with out of his hat and surprise us all. so so we move forward really quick it's kind and and that and that philosophy i think is truly accurate because when you think about the implications of what happened on night two by all means night two should have absolutely had an increase of attendance you did get likers last match you got the historic uh title match uh and you know and you actually probably got more star power on the second night as well, too, considering Jericho and Tanahashi. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, it's it, it, it is something that I'm sure people are looking at analytically. Uh, but more or less, uh, I do expect to possibly see um, some of this in, in the future. But, you know, wouldn't be surprised if Saudi Arabia was the first one to do it. Uh, <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Stop anyway. It. Easy to do a two-day show when you don't got to sell tickets for it. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> true. They, they, they can fund it. But um, anyway, so this next topic really quick. Now, I'm just going to put a quick disclaimer. We're going to so briefly talk about this. You're prob- it's going to just really just be a teaser because um, I am putting down the stamp of approval on this. And I think that if you really want to hear our true thoughts on this topic, that you're going to have to subscribe to our Patreon because this is definitely a really, really, really flaming hot topic that has definitely uh, been uh, burning up the social media uh, over the last couple of days. But in case you haven't heard, well, Roy Gulak, he seemed to have got himself into a little bit of a frenzy. Uh, maybe a, a, a not even just a little bit, but a lot of bit of a frenzy. Aurora Gulak, if you don't know, is the, um, is currently employed or in the roster. No, of, uh, he's unemployed right now. Yeah, yeah unemployed, he is yeah. gone. Unemployable. Right formerly, mm-hmm. formerly of Chikara. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's been tons of allegations, um, maybe even some investigative work and affairs being involved. But t- this guy has a um, his name is connected and linked to uh child pornography so quickly because we're not going to get into the gist of this because like i said if you want to hear the whole thing about what we think then you're going to have to hit that up on patreon but quickly we will talk about well short and sweet do you guys think based on the ramifications everything that's going on right now do you think we'll ever see this guy russell again i'd say it depends if he's uh cleared uh in this investigation that's supposedly going on He's cleared up in his investigation and nothing's found, then eventually I and I would say, yeah. Then eventually, yeah, he will, because it's wrestling. And you can people have done all kinds of horrible stuff in wrestling and hell been found guilty of it, and then they still find a place to work. Wrestling's, you know, a dirty business like that. It won't he won't be like, you know, in a major company or something, 
but it just depends what what ends up happening with the, uh, this investigation. I'd say. My uh, my short answer is no. Yeah. No, no, Damien. My short answer is no. Go ahead, Damien. Okay. My number one thing is stop talking to kids if you're old enough to be their daddy. Offline. <laughs> yes, sir. This is what happened with James Ellsworth, allegedly. This has happened to multiple people in the past, and now Rory Gulex over here talking to to allegedly underage under uh, underage fans. And I'm sorry, I'm getting annoyed about it, and I'll do it more on the Patreon. But wrestlers, stop talking to underage fans outside of the arena in a personal space. Stop it. Okay, so this is a lot, and obviously we'll cover it in depth on uh, behind a paywall. Uh, but to answer the question very directly, <laughs> yes, he absolutely will uh, will work again. Um, he will definitely wrestle again for a company. Will it be a company of note? I'm not convinced yet, but as as we all know, um, the jury hell hasn't been assigned, so it's not even out yet. Uh, as much as we want to say that Gulak is charged with this, well, he's not. He hasn't been charged with anything that I, that I know of. No crime has been committed that I know of. Is he a creep? Is he a predator? Is he a weirdo? Yeah, absolutely. If you slid into his DMs, I hope you got your flu shot because he's, you know, some shit going on. Are any of these things illegal? As of right now, what we know, we know? No, they're not. So I think that time, if he lays low for a while, keeps his mouth shut, and then maybe he shows up in the middle of you know, farm country somewhere and works an independent show, and then gets back, and then gets back, and then in a few years of exile, as long as he stays off the internet, I think he'll be fine. Now, if we read in the papers that Roy Gulak of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, has been sentenced to X number of years for X number of charges, Oh well, yeah, it was it was good it was good on him, but no, I think he'll be I think he'll be back. I, I, he's not Chris Benoit. <laughs> Hard to wrestle when you're dead, but I get what you're saying. Rick Flair does two low blows. <laughs> Three but anyway, like, like 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 Jamal said, if you definitely want to hear our full thoughts on that, you're definitely going to have to tap into behind the paywall because, like I said, you can step over to our website, BigGoBellGroup.com. Um, I think it's backslash donate, but if not, um, it's the links are right up top, and that that would just shoot you right over to our Patreon account. And like I said, any little amount will get you subscribed there, and you can check out all our exclusive t- uh, content as we definitely got some more stuff coming up really soon as well, too. So, yeah, why not? Why not help us keep the lights on and hear some really, really uh, interesting topics that we, as we really unleash, and um, it's absolutely no filter that's happening on that show. But um, let's move forward now. So, okay, I think, especially over, uh, I, you know, before our little break uh, at, towards the end, of the, uh, the end of last year, we have been very critical about the women's division in AEW and critical for good and for worse because we just want to see it do better regardless not ripping it apart not being marsh we just we just truly want to see that division flourish for what it should be but recently uh Kenny Omega he got asked questions he had comments 
and it pertains to the criticism of the women's division. Now, Jamal, if you can read the um, his comments for it so we can get the gist of uh, what he said, and then after that, guys, I want to know, what do you make of it and um, thoughts and reactions to it? Okay, so um, a person on Twitter asked Kenny while he had some time and said, hey, uh, ask me anything. A uh, person named Rob at Z-E-E-C-O underscore says, lately, uh, what do you think of the criticisms of the women's division? And Kenny's response is, lately, most of the, quote, criticisms I read are incredibly ignorant. Depressing amount of fans, uh, depressing the amount of fans that have absolutely no class. That being said, I tr- do try to sift through those to get the actual constructive criticism. So, okay, so the question I have is, and I know, you know, you guys got your thoughts on is it still healthy to sift through the human waste pile that is Twitter for <laughs> constructive criticism? Because that's like legit finding a diamond in sulfuric acid. You're going to burn yourself. No, it's not worth it. I no, feel as if it's a, a bigger headache than it needs to be because I want to say what 70% of social media interactions amongst between wrestlers and fans usually ends in some sort of major disagreement or someone being offended or maybe a Rory Gulak situation. I don't know, but that is for me a time waster. Uh, if I'm Kenny Omega, I'm not the one sifting through that. I'm getting someone else to do that. (laughs) I'm hiring a social media intern to go into my account and look at all of the replies and do a search on specific keywords. And then you go from there. No, I don't want the job. So don't, don't offer it to me, Kenny. But that, that for me is the only way to make that a successful venture. Any other way is just going to lead to more fan toxicity because it comes equipped and, and a lot of, well, Kenny said this and Kenny said that, and Kenny didn't say this. He, he could have been an ally or instead of he wanted to be an adversary too much head knocking, too much flapping of the gums, just not enough quality content, 30% sure, but have someone else go through that. So you don't have to. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I 100% agree. Yeah, well, I, I can't. I can't imagine Kenny sitting there, go, going through his uh, Twitter replies and trying to glean any kind of actual knowledge from it. I mean, my God! I mean, how, how much time are you going to devote to that? Especially, I mean, can't even imagine what his uh his damn notifications must look like. <laughs> they got to <they> <laughs> be a a mess of just all kinds of garbage. So just just the exercise of doing that, I don't even know how you'd be even be able to again begin to do like head find heads or tails. In, in, in a matter of doing that. Th- that said, I think this creates the question of how exactly are they getting feedback from outside their bubble, from outside their like immediate circle of, you know, that, that group that's working there, obviously. It's like, who are, the, who are they approaching for feedback? What, what are the, the voices they are trusting or looking to to critique their product? And are they if when there are issues that people aren't happy with, how willing so far are they to address them or consider them or put any kind of faith or a uh, weight in those criticisms? Right now, so far, I think it's really hard to tell because it just seems like there's some aspects of that show 
they are so dead set on just hammering and hammering and hammering despite people just not being into it. Brandy Rhodes <laughs> and mm. other things seems they've adjusted very quickly on. You know, we, there was a lot of criticism early on about, um, what's, uh, the, that announcer guy. Now Marvez. Yes. When they first started up, there was a lot of criticism for Marvez, Alex Marvez right out of the gate. And they immediately switched his role up like very quickly. So it's like certain things they seem to address very quickly. And then other things, it's like it's falling on deaf ears. And I think that's what I'm wondering. It's where are they listening to? Who are they listening to? What are they listening to? And how much actual willingness to listen are they giving it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, to your point, yeah, they, they have responded in kind to certain things. And they have, uh, as we see, like during being the elite, and they've, Definitely responded to criticism, and then on the other hand, they've also uh, the young bucks, particularly, deleted their Twitter for a bit. Um, mm. You know, constructive criticism is obviously constructive, and uh, you know, being a dick is not. So, where's that line? Now, I think the, you know, if you want to find the instant reaction, it's the yeah, Twitter ain't it. It really isn't, and I think that for people that say the ratings doesn't matter. This is exactly why ratings matter, because it's not that the people, the casual fan may not want to talk to wrestling Twitter, may not have the wherewithal to talk to wrestling Twitter about their feelings. They may not be plugged in on social media outside of their specific circles in their small towns around the world. So and focus groups are, you know, are a dime a dozen. So I think, you know, the thing is, is that it's got to be taken worth a grain of salt. But I hope the things that they keep rehashing keep uh, improving because they did do that with the dark order they put it out there uh people the people that knew said like oh cool and others went no but uh, i think and that's the difference between AEW and wwe i was really excited when the ascension came up and made their deb- de- uh, debut on raw and i think that was here and the crowd didn't know what was going on and it kind of took the wind out of the sails so I'm willing to, as we are only in week 11 or 12, something like that, ride it out and not officially judge AEW until they've had a year of dynamite. Um, I don't think it's fair to judge them on a, well, WWE you wouldn't do that, when WWE has 30 years of Monday Night Raw, 20 years of SmackDown, and 60 years of wrestling history, you know, overall. So let me ask you this, this, though. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Jamal. So you still are going to, like, let's say if you're an executive, you know, TNT, whatever, you still think a year is a good enough chance to give them to, to maximize on that. So you don't think anybody's going to, oh, you got three months, you got six months. You think a year is that still that good time frame? Well, if you're a network executive, uh, you know, there's a television schedule for the seasons. So the, uh, the winter season and fall season stretches into February. Yep. And, and then the summer season uh, will take you into September. And right. then, you know, then the summer shows will end and then the fall shows will pick up and bring you, you know, back into February. So if TNT is really like, you know what, this sucks and we don't know what the hell is going on and we're going to put in reruns of Frasier for two hours instead of AEW, I'm not seeing that yet because the, um, uh, the ratings aren't indicating a massive decline. There have been spikes, there have been anom- anomalies, but honestly, they've been pretty consistent between three-quarters of a million to, uh, to 800,000. Um, 
So if you're a network executive, you're kind of like, cool. The show doesn't cost much to produce, and they're giving us, you know, hell over what we're asking for. Let it ride. But because of Twitter uh, and the instant gratification culture that we live in, if you're not booking the show the way that I imaginarily booked it on <laughs> 2K20, then you're doing it wrong and you should feel bad for yourself. <laughs> That's not how this works. That's not how long-term booking works. That's not how storytelling works. Yeah. And I, I think 100 percent I just don't know if people are patient enough. Oh, they're not. They're and that's not. why we're here. That's why we're here over there. I mean, nobody's willing to see like what the Nightmare Collective are going to do. Um, they're just going to bash Brandy uh, and, and say that you know she's just, uh, the Meghan Markle of AEW. <laughs> what a timely reference! Thank you. <laughs> oh, but, I, but realistically, I, I think that like in six months, if the Nightmare Collective, I don't want to say it has grown hair and and great traction because again, it's wrestling. Thank you. So uh, you know, if it's wrestling and. In six months, if, if people are decidedly turning the channel and they can measure that, um, then maybe it is time to do something different. But like with Alex Marvez, they had him for a job. He did not do that thing well. They put him in a different job, and now he's better at that. So I, I think that they're definitely playing the long game with a Britt Baker, with the Brandy and, and her brood, um, and bringing in other people. And they're playing the long game because hopefully, God willing, they have a culmination to it. This is going to be worth it in the end. At least that's what I'm telling myself before I throw a brick through my TV when I see <laughs> on TV. <laughs> well, let's get into our last topic for tonight. And on the respective on the other respective side of the Wednesday Night War, let's talk a little bit about NXT to close it out for tonight. So um, anybody that's been watching um, NXT, maybe you're seeing a little bit of a, I don't know, a, a little bit of a, 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 for me, a little bit of a different chemistry or psychology in their booking. What I mean by that is because people that you may not know or people that usually didn't get screen time or maybe people you know that's been signed and just been kind of flourishing in the bottom typically does about a good 10 months plus of just floating around on the bottom but looks like some of these guppies are being pulled out of the pond real quick and shooting up to the top so with that being said uh i don't know if you guys been noticing but uh in nxt it looks like a lot of people has been being hot shotted really quick so um what's your what's your what's, what are you guys thoughts on that and um what do you think is probably if you do agree with that we think it's the the method to the madness here let me let me. Be I know we talked about. Oh, go, go ahead, Damien. Let me jump in first because off air, I, I was the one that kind of broached this. Uh, as we've been thinking about it and talking about it, I'm starting to again realize that NXT in its premise is supposed to be developmental. So this new cavalcade of of new talent, the Austin theories of the world, the Shotzi Blackhearts, we saw last night. Chelsea Green making an appearance along with Robert Stone, formerly known as Robbie E. NXT is supposed to be developmental. So they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Am I surprised that some people have taken longer to make their television debut? Uh, yes. And for those who may not know, the loops, the, the house shows is how we 
as fans might get to know a certain talent before they make it to television to work out some of their timing issues or in-ring, you know, in-ring prowess stuff. Uh, so once someone finally makes television, that's almost as if it's a promotion of sorts. So the fact that, you know, and two champs, you said this earlier, Shanti Blackheart is about to make her second television appearance after being signed for no more than what, two months, three months. I don't even know if it's been that long to be no, honest. No, yeah, no, it's since September. So like three months or so. That's impressive. Whereas Chelsea Green got injured previously while working, I believe it was a taping before it became on um before it came on USA mm-hmm. and then had to take some time away. And then with the rise of Keith Lee, when he was languishing almost for what seemed six months putting over people like Lars Sullivan to get <laughs> TV time. So, and now he's kind of skyrocketed back into the forefront. And then you have, you know, you have the usuals, you have the Damien priests, you have the, I mentioned him off air. What's his face? I was going to call him Trevor Lee, but he's Cameron Grimes now for, a, for a couple of months there. I forgot he was there. And then they gave him this kind of walking dead Carl hat and this Southern Gator <laughs> Bayou Billy gimmick. You know, Crocodile I heard him refer to himself as a caveman too, and that's when yeah. I was like, "All right." So, so he wrestled Kushida about maybe six weeks ago or a month ago, once, and then he wrestled him again a couple of weeks ago, and now he's in a fatal four-way with Damian Priest, Keith Lee, and Dominic Dijakovic. So obviously, they're seeing something in him. But for me, I'm wondering. That's all well and good. But that just means that some people are getting left behind. And again, I'm kind of curious as to the dead weight that potentially might get cut unless something that they do behind the scenes on the house show circuit can kind of push them to the forefront. Do I think WWE's taking their time with people like Keith Lee? Too damn long. Do I think that I'm a fan of how it's been progressing? Yes, I am. And at first I wasn't. But I'm starting to see... Okay, you go from being an indie darling to now a sports entertainer, and then so on and so forth. So I think, honestly, with all the hot shotting, it's all a matter of how well you progress during the house shows. Because if, if we go by reports, Indy Hartwell is probably going to be the next person that gets put on television because she's been tearing it up on the house show circuit. So I'm not surprised. I'm looking forward to see what's next, though. Um, so I have a question about you know, the whole hierarchy of NXT as its relationship as a third brand and not developmental anymore. What does this do for talent that are not called up but called over to Raw and SmackDown? Um, as we've seen, the structure was before. Uh, there would be a big uh, call-up around the time of a major pay-per-view, usually SummerSlam, usually after the Royal Rumble, some most of the time after WrestleMania. Um and then there was, you know, a few, for lack of a better word, auditions, whether it's a battle royal. Um, the, unfortunately, the, what happened in Saudi Arabia, which brought NXT to SmackDown um, as a replacement show. Um, you know, these things are few and far in between, which means that some people get left in the shuffle. And then they still make it to the rain roster and flounder. It is what it is. But how does that new structure of NXT being a third brand and let's assume that that is actually the case, and that's not just lip service. What should that do for people that are moving into NXT from the independent scene? 
and more importantly, moving from NXT to Raw and SmackDown. Uh, should the is it are they is a call up in, imminent in that they need Triple H knows that he's going to need to replace key figures of his roster because Vince is about to go into the honey honey pot and he's going to need that next group up to step up immediately after that. I think that's always a possibility, especially in the in the environment we're in now. That there's there's always the chance that Vince is suddenly going to come and be like, "All right, I'm doing some cherry picking. I want A, B, and C. Sorry, they're they're on my show now." And then those three spots get opened up. That said, I think if you're in in the NXT brand now, whether you're doing the Florida Loop and not on TV or an indie star coming in, I think that the difference we're seeing now since that show moved to USA is that. Now that it's no longer taped in these huge chunks, they can adjust stuff now on a week-to-week basis. I mean, heck, last night's episode had all the influx of all the UK talent now that they're building towards the uh, World's Collide pay-per-view the night before uh, Royal Rumble. So they're trying a lot of different stuff, and previously they would do those huge tapings where it'd be like, okay, everyone's coming to full sale, we're laying out a whole month of NXT TV, and that's it, and then we're, we're locked in. Now it's like, okay, we could try this one week. We could bring in a Shotzi Blackheart, try her for one week. Oh, hey, she got a good reaction. All right, let's bring her back two weeks from now. Or you could do have the opposite of that. You bring someone in one week, you don't feel how it went. You're like, ah, okay, maybe not them right now. Let's have them, uh, let's send them back out on the loop for a bit. Maybe we try them again a month or two with a couple tweaks on them. Now that it's a week-to-week show, it changes what they can do. And so I think that, if anything, should create a lot more opportunities for different faces to get some TV time on there and also probably speed things up for people to get opportunities a lot quicker than they did previously. That's my thinking, at least. You know, so you let me ask this point. question then. Oh, let, me, let me ask this question then. So if we think about Keith Lee and think about two other people that we could see being skyrocketed, being, oh, Vince is about to get them. Can we say it's going to be Keith Lee or two other people? I'm just saying you can throw out any random names that they're trying to set up to do this to prepare them for a WrestleMania push already, or is that too soon to say that? I, I'm going to say this really quick. I think Champa's statement uh, about if he ends up going to Royal SmackDown that he's going to retire um, is very critical here because not only was that a bold statement to make, but Triple H actually advocated for him on that, um, saying that now he's taken more of a, uh, a production role backstage with Evolve to get him prepared for what's actually going to be his future, um, you know, once he's ready to hang it up for NXT, which, you know, that's a decision that Triple H has made for him and an opportunity he's made for him uh, to get him more experience as well. With that being said, if Champa is able to make a statement like that, I'm sure others are going to be more confident to be really stern on, on that statement as well, too, because I think Based on people's life logistics, um, being in Florida works for some people. Doing all those dates may not. Uh, let's not forget that some of these people are not uh, spring chickens. So, you know, they may not be able to endure those type of uh, the demand that Raw SmackDown does. So with that being said, um, uh, you know, I don't technically expect a ton of people unwillingly being pulled over to uh raw smackdown i i don't see that i think it just has to psychologically uh, psych, i think it's like the psychology behind it 
just has to make sense. But just because Keith Lee is really flourishing right now, I don't think we're going to get the traditional style of like, he's doing good. Give him to me. He's tight. Um, and hopefully XFL starts. Hopefully Vince is just worrying <laughs> about that. So, but uh, c- c- continue and, and, so and quickly. I, I want to jump in on something that Will said about trying people out. Uh, we've seen this with NXT recently where there was a match between Tainara and Santana Garrett. And we talked about it mm-hmm. on this show by all accounts bombed. And it bombed all over social media. Very and then match. we didn't see them. We didn't see them for what? Another three weeks, four weeks. We haven't seen Aaliyah since Zia Lee kicked her face off. But <laughs> she wasn't that good either when also they were. Also a good match. Yeah, also a great match. Uh, given that spotlight. So I do believe in the giving them a shot, sink or swim, if they've proven up to a point. But I, I just hope that. I don't. Ho- I hope there's a quick enough trigger where they don't want to keep throwing a, a dead fish out there, hoping it swims, and you know, and waiting too long to pull the plug on someone, or waiting too long to hit the uh, the go button. Because I feel like that's what's happened with Dijakovic, where he was going to get pushed with what's his face with a uh, Velveteen Dream, and then injury, and I'll use that as air quotes, uh, kept him <laughs> from from participating in, in their program. And then all of a sudden now he was thrust in this program with Keith Lee, then part of War Games, and now part of Fatal 4. But does anyone really care about Dominic Dijakovic anymore unless he's wrestling Keith Lee? Who? Exactly. <laughs> so that, that's, that's for argument, but okay, I get your point. <laughs> so, yeah, I will be on the other side of that. No, I, I, I get it, but I feel like they waited too long with him. That's, that's my, my, my point with now, that. That part I do agree. Yeah. So I mean... I, I, Go I ahead. mean, but we also can say the same thing about Keith Lee, too, because, I mean, the momentum like I said here it, yeah. for the Indies, yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, no. fair, fair, fair point, fair point. I did say, I said it, you know, they waited too long on Keith Lee as well, but I, I like this, let's try him out. This past week, they tried out Austin Theory again, and then they put out Joaquin Wilde again, see what they do, just to give them some air time, and then they'll go from there. I like that. I think I like I like that method of the of giving them a shot to see how they kind of react to the live audience, cameras, and all that jazz. What I'm I'm really grateful for is that now all the people on social media can stop bitching about at least one thing. My my favorite's gonna get ruined on the main roster. Well, now that <laughs> NXT's a third brand, you don't gotta worry about it because if they're ruined in NXT, then they're definitely ruined. But if they ruin the NXT, then they'll won't they won't have a job. But you don't got to worry about the Apollo Crews, the Ascension, the Adam Roses that go up with fanfare, and then after about a week, I think that alleviates that problem, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I got two quick things. Everybody is not going to get a chance to answer, so you guys all make a comment on whatever your perspective um, question that you want to answer. So, quick, two quick things, really quick. The first one is, uh, speaking of uh, Robbie E., who is uh, now going by Rob Strauss and the, uh, excuse me, Robert Stone and the Robert Stone brand. Looks like managers are about to become a thing again, uh, which is good because uh, uh, we all know that uh, Stokely is also signed out of NXT. So I've been waiting to see what they're going to do with him. But this is a good glimpse into the future. Uh, so first question is are you guys excited about managers returning how do you think it's going to be utilized and what's your uh thoughts and reactions to seeing that kind of formulate and then the second question and you guys remember you only get to pick one for our for our closing uh remarks 
So Jeff Cobb, uh, and this is obviously a rumor, allegedly is not on an exclusive contract with ROH anymore and can now work other bookings, but has to report to ROH uh, when needed. With that being said, do you think ROH is about to change up their recipe a little bit by allowing them to kind of do, sort of say, the impact recipe? And is this finally a positive sign for the ROH brand? So those are the two questions. Everyone pick one, and then we'll close it out. All right, who you want to start off with first? You. Yeah. Oh, well, start with me. Well, mine, I'll take the managers. Um, I was always a huge fan of managers because they helped bring out the characters. One person I miss so much because I thought he did a real good job before he got booted, um, Abraham Washington, Armando Estrada. Mm-hmm. Those those people are always great to me because they're great character builders. And when you take those managers and move them to wrestlers or try to tween them, I think that's where you mess them up. If you keep managers in those roles, it could bring so many good things to the characters. For example, uh, I forgot his name. Forgive me. When they took him off uh, AOP in, in NXT, I thought that oh, hurt AOP. Yeah, Paul, I thought he was great with them, uh, bringing them up. It was like an old school feel. Even Paul Bearer, you know, somebody that what he did for the Kane and Undertaker's career, I think their careers, you know, this could be very argumentative on that. I think their careers won't shot up the way that they did, especially Kane's without Paul Bearer. Um, I, I just wish managers would have that more consistent role. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off Marcellus and take that same one. And just, it's real simple. I'll keep this quick as can be because there are so many guys that can't do the talking portion of the business. That promos just aren't their thing. And just put them with a manager, put them with a manager that can draw heat, put them with a manager that can do the talking for them, put them with a manager that can explain their character to the audience and do that part of the storytelling for them. And it's perfectly fine. You don't have to be a total package and be able to cut promos and also, you know, do killer matches. You can be a great guy in the ring, and if talking isn't your strong suit, pair you up with the right guy and make it a package deal. It worked for years. It can work again. There's no reason not to mix that into things and have that be a different presentation for some guys on the roster. I'm all for it. Give me managers any day of the week. Okay, so the short answer is I've always hated managers. But uh, as far as Jeff Cobb goes, I think it'll be interesting to see what Ring of Honor does to stay afloat. Um, not because there, there's so much competition, just because there's so much uh, self-destruction going on in Baltimore that Ring of Honor needs to do something to reevaluate and reassess their locker room going forward. And if that means allowing more talent to come in, work a limited schedule, just to get eyes on their product and, and they can still freelance and do what they want. So be it. But the bottom line is the ring of honor needs to start firing out ideas to attract more viable talent to the program or take what they have and repackage it in a meaningful way. That's going to give me a reason to give a good goddamn anymore about them. I'm a big Jeff Cobb fan. He, for me, he was someone that when I first started covering independent wrestling, I thought, who the heck is this guy? This is someone, when I saw him as Matanza, when I saw him as Jeff Cobb, he made the power moves look as if everyone weighed five pounds. Still does. (laughs) Very happy to see that he potentially now, selfishly, might be able to work some of the independent promotions that, you know, we cover and 
that that's me being selfish. Uh, but to, to piggyback off off the the ROH commentary, they needed to try something different. They their contracts, from what we've seen or uncovered, thanks to social media and some internet digging, are rather low. So this gives talent another opportunity to make more money, and that is the number one thing. I'm grateful that. Again, I use that word a lot, but as a wrestling fan, as someone who covers wrestling, I'm grateful that this just gives talent the the ability to make more money. Forget that it goes back to sports. All these leagues are player centric, so why not why not have wrestlers make as much money as possible? Get paid, show out, get different eye eyeballs on the product, and maybe just maybe Ring of Honor will get a rub off of it and not be thought of as the worst professional wrestling promotion in all of North America. Uh, just saying, but I think this is great all around. And if it doesn't work, then that's ring of honor's fault because then there's doing something wrong with the way they're handling their talent. Maybe they need a a better talent relations person. I don't know, but maybe this is a a test run and and we'll see where it can go, where it can go. It can't get any worse than what it was before. Oh, you can. I'm trying to to be somewhat positive. So (laughs) I'm hoping it's not as worse, any worse than it can be. (laughs) <laughs> and, shout out, and shout out to Stokely Hathaway <laughs> well well said gentlemen well said well that is going to wrap up tonight's show I think we definitely covered a lot of different things and again I, I think we took a really interesting aspect because I know after Russell 14 everyone wants to just give a review and break down uh, what, what, probably a total of what 10 hours of wrestling but yeah we weren't going to do that so we it took a little different approach, and I think we really tackled some good stuff. So good, good, good. Um, but that will wrap it up for tonight. And um, like always, stay tuned because uh, we, we're doing these recordings each and every Thursday. You'll get them on Friday. But we're going to be about to go on live very, very soon. In fact, we're actually about to test our live infrastructure right after this. So uh, thank you for tuning in. And ladies and gentlemen, we will catch you next week.